0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly. Take these words of mine, Lord, and may they be the words that you want us to hear tonight. Amen. Well... Authority questions, they're always important ones, aren't they? Within a community and a society throughout the ages. And of course, these authority questions start early on in life, at home. The child asks, why can't I have that food for tea? Why do I have to go to bed at that time? What the child is really saying is, by what authority do you as mum and dad say that I have to do or act in certain ways? And we see the same in school. The authority of the school is challenged constantly by pupils and parents alike. And in general society we see this, challenges brought to the law, to parliament, to community life. And we live, don't we, in a sceptical society which questions authority, which has found out the faults of many people who live and work within organisations which make up our society, including families, politicians, bankers and the church. And the media seems fixated on finding faults with people in authority, We think of the church, where issues concerning child abuse, sexual morality, women bishops, and human sexuality. But what authority does the church have? Well, hopefully, the church's authority is based upon the Bible and Jesus' teaching. So what does this teaching of Jesus that we've got in front of us tonight say concerning his authority to his followers and to the outside world in which we live? Well, the Bible states the authority of Jesus comes from his relationship with the Father. As you read the New Testament, see how the actions of Jesus match his teaching. There's no hypocrisy here. He doesn't say one thing and do another. No, Jesus' actions are powerful. His words are powerful. And they support his challenging teaching. So we're looking in Luke chapter 20, which you'll find on page 1055 if you've closed your Bibles. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to just look at the first part leading up to this teaching of Jesus, because that gives us a context into which to put this parable. And then we'll look through the parable itself and we'll see how it can be applied to our situation. So we read in verse 1 that the religious leaders of of Israel, they asked Jesus the authority question. They'd been seeing Jesus heal people. They'd been seeing Jesus forgive people their sins and teaching people from God's written word. This had been happening in the streets and in the temple uh, in, in their time. And they knew that Jesus was popular with the masses and they feared it but they were also jealous of him and they showed signs of insecurity. So when they challenged Jesus concerning the authority by which he acts and teaches, they tried to catch him out. Jesus sees this and sets them a riddle. He reverses the question by referring to John the Baptist. He says to them, by what authority did John teach and work? Now the leaders, of course, weren't silly, They could see the trap in front of them, and so they refused to answer. And Jesus, in his turn, then refuses to answer where his authority came from. And then we read in our passage tonight that Jesus identifies the true situation concerning the Jewish society and their God. So let's have a look at this this allegory, this story that we've got in verses 9 to 19. Now, many of you will, uh, this will be familiar with you, but I think it's worth having a look through and seeing what the story actually speaks of. Because it speaks of the state of Israel and its political and religious leaders. And the Bible often compares the state of Israel to a vineyard or a vine. It's a picture that the, the people of the time would have readily understood the tenant farmers in this story represent the civil and religious leaders of Israel, whose duty it was to guide the nation in their righteously, but in fact, who were corrupt in their dealings. The owner of the vineyard represents God. The vineyards being leased to tenant farmers, who, which symbolizes their temporary possession and responsibility of these leaders to care for the people. And so we see here that Jesus clearly sees the true situation with regard to the leaders of their faith. In his eyes, they were corrupt and evil. And we see this from the actions of those who rented the vineyard. And then in verses 10 to 12, we read of these servants. And the servants represent the prophets that God had sent to Israel down through the ages. And the wicked tenants' actions shows their rejections, not of the servants, but of the landowner God. And we read, don't we, that the farmers, they beat the two servants, which denotes harsh and unjust treatment. They wounded the third one, which shows how many of the prophets had been treated down throughout the ages. And then the owner of the vineyard, he saw that there was no purpose in continuing to send more profits to the people. So he chooses to send his son. And we read this in verses 13 to 15. Now we have to understand what was the, the, the aim of the tenants. Well, we have to understand something about inheritance of land at that time. If there was no heir to the land, then the people that were working it would inherit it. And so we read that these tenants thought that by killing the son, they could easily steal the landowner's possession. So as we look at this story, we see that Jesus foretells his own death at the hands of the Jews, just as they would persecuted and slain the prophets for centuries. But he goes on further. He then asks the leaders about the proper way to deal with those that had killed the servants. Well, what Jesus is doing here is he's wanting them to condemn themselves by their own mouths and realise the justice of their coming judgement. Because they had free will, they could decide to reverse their direction. But no, pride caused them to hate Jesus even more. And so we read in verses 16 to 20 that Jesus shows them the leaders the justice by taking away their national privileges and punishing them by destroying their city and nation. And he uses this parable to force them to condemn them with the truth. The leaders though still don't see the uh, the normative of the situation and uh, they don't realize that this is Jesus speaking to them. So Jesus carries on and he refers, in, he refers to the passage in Psalm 118, which refers to the cornerstone. Now, in this uh, parable, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ, it's the foundation of God's temple, the church. But the builders reject it because, they, because Jesus doesn't fit in with their preconceived ideas of what a Messiah should be. But even though the Jews rejected Jesus, God overruled and made him the chief cornerstone, which would become the church later on. Now, the Israelites, of course, had been God's chosen people. And this parable shows that he was going to take away this privilege and give that blessing to a special people who would become the church. And Jesus says that he is this cornerstone, this cornerstone. And he refers to the escalating consequences of those that oppose him. And so he says that those that will oppose him out of ignorance or weakness or those that willfully reject him, the stone will crush them into dust and scatter them into the wind. Now this warning wasn't lost on the chief priests, scribes and elders because they become even more infuriated towards Jesus and they confirm what we already knew that they are going to kill him. And this passage reveals to us the authority as Jesus recognises this as the son and heir and judge. This then is the meaning of the story told by Jesus to those in authority. And it's told in response to this question, by what authority do you preach and speak and act, and most importantly, claim God as your Father? We read here that the the leaders were horrified by what they heard and what they saw, because they understood that Jesus was speaking about themselves, and so they resolved to get rid of him and to kill him. And that leads us, of course, into the Easter week. So there we have it. That's the story. But what can we learn from this story? Well, I believe there are two things, really. There are encouragements, and there are warnings within the story. Encouragements and warnings. It's always good, isn't it, to be encouraged. But it's also important that we are warned as well. And so the story given by Jesus encourages us because it tells us that God is a loving owner. This God that's portrayed in this story is a kind God, a patient God, and a loving God. A very different image to that of the Roman God or gods of the pagan world. Because the the story points to a God who desires mercy, because the owner is prepared to send three servants, and lastly, his own son, despite what they'd already done to the servants. He gives the tenants repeated chances to do good, but he also gives them the freedom of choice. They are free to choose, to give the owner the share of the crops that he was entitled to, or to keep it to themselves. And here we see the true situation with regards to God and humanity. The owner God gives them the opportunity to go their own way and not to give him his share. And perhaps the greatest gift that God gives humanity is the freedom to choose which way we go, how we live, what moral decisions we take. And this, of course, is what makes us human and separate from animals who act under the force of instinct. And we need to remember this, don't we, as we witness to our friends and colleagues concerning Christ. Being human means we have the freedom to make choices. We can choose to believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died on a cross to take the punishment for our sins, or we can choose not to believe. And of course, as believers, we still have these choices. The choices to follow Jesus and his actions or to go on our own way. And in remembering this, we need to realise that to make these choices, people need to have the information available to them. They need to hear the claims of Jesus to be the Son of God. To hear that Jesus showed his credentials by his actions that he took and the teaching that he provided. And there are many today that I believe within our society and within our city who don't know this. Recently, the Bishop of Norwich was telling me of a visit that he had made to one of the academies in Norwich where the students and pupils have the opportunity to go and speak with a resident chaplain. Many of them go and visit the chaplain. But he said, most students have no idea concerning who Jesus is, who he was, what he did, what he said, or of the Christian faith at all. We live in a society here in Norwich where there's poverty concerning the knowledge of God's Son, his actions, and his offer of salvation. And it's a sad reflection, isn't it, on Jesus' command to his disciples to go and make disciples of all mankind. But there are positives, there are encouragements. We have a loving God who sent Jesus for us. But there are also warnings or consequences. Because whenever we make decisions in life, there will be consequences. Whenever we choose a certain path of action, there are always consequences. Sometimes they will be positive, but they can also be negative. You remember the story told by Jesus of the wise and foolish men building their houses on the sand and rock. The man who chose to build upon the sand, they lost their houses because the foundations were poor. Whilst the man building on the rock, his house stood firm. So as we share our faith with others, we need to make this point. There are consequences for decisions that are made. Look at the story again. Verses 16 to 18, we read the tenants will be punished for their actions. They will lose their lives, but they will also lose the vineyards that will be taken away from them. Jesus states there will be judgment. They will lose their lives. They will lose that special status that they hold as God's children. It will be given to others, the Gentiles. And he, he re-emphasises this point in verse 17, 18, with reference to the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone was the most important part of a building. It locked the wall together. It supported the structure of the building. It was hard and it was strong. And it's heavy. So if the wall collapses, it will fall and crush those underneath it. It's another vivid picture of judgment of people who don't believe and follow Jesus. Now, in our society, we are unhappy, aren't we, quite often about talking about judgment. Again, recently I heard the Bishop of Norwich talking about morality within our public life and culture. And you must be aware that the bishop sits in the House of Lords. He's been there for a few years now. And he said... Within his experience, he'd seen a change. There's very little evidence today of repentance. Very little evidence of people who hold office, who admit to wrongdoing and repent and change direction. And this, of course, goes hand in hand with our general society. Now, we need to remember that Jesus loves the people we mix with. He shares many examples of his love for people within the New Testament. There was the tax official, who had obviously fiddled the expenses. There was the woman caught in adultery, to name but two. But with all these examples, he states to the people, go and sin no more, repent, change direction, and believe that the Son of Man has the power to save sinners. Now, of course... The problem we find often is that many of our friends and colleagues are indifferent to spiritual issues. They don't accept that they are sinners and don't hear that Jesus offers a way back to God through repentance and faith. And so, we need to find ways in which we can raise these issues with them. But we need also to realise that according to this story, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders and the people of God. And as members of God's church, we need to acknowledge, don't we, that we're all sinners before him, even us in church. And we as followers of Jesus, we need to be obedient to that call of Jesus on our lives in a continuous way, being obedient to him daily rather than going our own ways. Now I'm sure that many of you here have, have, have heard of people who once professed faith who followed Jesus, but gradually through time fell away, perhaps through ill friendships or through not repenting and seeking God's way. But the good news is Jesus offers us all a way back to God. There's no sin that can't be forgiven because Jesus took that punishment for us all on the cross that first Easter time. And so, as we share the Easter message with others, we need to make it clear it's not us that's saying they are sinners who will be judged. No, it's the message of the Bible and Jesus. They will probably question the authority. By what authority do you, Nigel, or does Holy Trinity make that statement? Well, it's by the authority of Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God, who showed that he'd loved all so much that he was prepared to die for them, a cruel, painful death, who took that punishment for our sins. That's the authority. It's not ours or the church's. And as we've said, our friends and neighbours and colleagues, sometimes they're indifferent. So how did Jesus bring this issue to the people? How did he show his authority? Well, he did it, didn't he, by practical living and practical speaking. He's demonstrated by healing people, by challenging people. And so we need to explain and demonstrate this It's through the way we treat people, the way we love people, the way we can practically help people in our communities. We don't preach fire and damnation on its own. No, we follow the path of Jesus who helped people, brought healing to people and reconciliation to communities. And if we want to know what Jesus wants us to do with regard to the northeast of our parish... I would suggest that we look at, the, look at Jesus' ministry. We go out and care for people the way that he would done in practical ways. We pray for their healing. We show them goodwill and tell them of the love of Jesus, which provides salvation for them if they repent and follow him. So there we have it. In conclusion... We've seen how Jesus challenged the religious leaders of his day. He challenged them to see his authority, to believe in him as God's son who came to save the world. We've seen how Jesus offered them a choice. Unfortunately, we read that most of them refused this gift and sought ways of killing him rather than the gift of life for eternity. But for us tonight here, those of us who follow Jesus. The challenge is this, isn't it? Do we accept the authority of Jesus within our lives? Do we allow his teaching and his examples to direct the way we live, think and act each day? Well, I trust we do. I trust that as we come to this Easter time, we are encouraged that Jesus gave up all for us and for our friends, our colleagues the people in the neighbourhood, the people that we live with. So let's pray for each one of us. Let's pray for our colleagues and our friends that they see and hear the love of Jesus this Easter. Amen.